Hey, y'all, you listening to the DSM, Diagnosis Sitcoms and Movies. We help make mental health more comfortable by using Black shows and movies we know and love to remove stigma by using culture. So join our convo with your host, Courtney Copeland, licensed mental health counselor and school counselor. Dr. Rosie, full-time associate, no, assistant professor at Governor State University. Yay, new job title. That's why you're fumbling. I need you to remember what it is, though. I'm an assistant. I'm an assistant. I'm an assistant. Yeah. So, like, you have it. Is it on your new business card? So you can hit people with No, I don't have my business cards yet. I don't even have a key to my office. I don't really know if I really have a job. (laughs) I'm just kidding. I figured that out. (laughs) I'd be so good to clarify. I don't officially have rights to be there until August 1st. They gonna, they kick me out if I try to get up in there any earlier, so. You're trespassing before then? Pretty much. <laughs> okay. All right, so jumping right in. First things first, all I want to say is you got to choose now. What does that even mean? I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, really. <laughs> What does that mean? What does it mean to have the juice? It's a deep question that isn't really answered in the movie. I know Pac is searching for it real hard. Q doesn't seem to want it. Uh, Rodimus tried to pretend that he had it. But more importantly, I would like to know what the hell does it mean when Samuel Jackson said you done slid down a razor blade and landed in the alcohol river. That's what I need to know. What does that mean? That means you in some shit. <laughs> That's you are in some hurt. You about to be hurt, hurt. <laughs> That's what that means. You know, my other, my other favorite Samuel Jackson, um, what you call it, uh, quote is, just because you pour syrup on something doesn't make it pancakes. Like you pour syrup on shit don't make pancakes. <laughs> <laughs> why you thought was that number one thing that butt I don't know why you thought that was so tough <laughs> about, man? snappy nappy dug out the snappy nappy dug out <laughs> nappy nappy dug out <laughs> I love it I love it um, you know watching that was it said by Orange Juice Jones which made it even more funny there was a lot of cameos in this movie that yes. I sometimes didn't really recognize, but I was watching it this time. I said, wait a minute. <laughs> Let me just tell you, I was so happy. I never realized Queen Latifah was in here. Like, when I watched it originally as a kid, I was like, oh, okay. Now as an adult, I was like, oh, shit. Check her out. She's in this movie. Like Queen Latifah hmm. being great. She's in, she is in and has done everything. And she deserves all of her flowers now. All of them. I can give her a clap. Clap for, clap for. That was beautiful. I heard those vocals. That harmony was amazing. Um, (laughs) (laughs) If you're not aware, we are talking about the legendary movie, Juice, starring Tupac Shakur, starring Omar Epps, starring Khalil Kane, and I always forget his name, but y'all know the dude from... uh, Lean on me. Lean on me. No, no, no. Girl, steal. Oh. Oh, Oh, you be making me worry about you sometimes. Jermaine Hopkins. 
Jermaine Hopkins. I like how quickly you Googled that. <laughs> yes. That was seamless, girl. That was seamless. I'm a good person. I'm a good person. <laughs> That's what matters. <laughs> I'm terrible with names, but I'm still a good person. <laughs> So not only all of the um, cameos, the star-studded appearances that were in this movie, as well as the very talented cast, the soundtrack was dope. Listen, it really was. Especially, like, for the time, they had Rakim, Big Diddy Kane, like, they had, oh, just Teddy Riley. They had so many people on this soundtrack. So uh, on this soundtrack, um, didn't, didn't, uh, Tupac have a few songs on there. I feel like uh, so I was watching this um, this random random side point. Okay, so Omar Epps did this interview um, talking about his experience filming Juice with Tupac and how um, Brenda has a baby became a thing. So apparently, you know, they this was uh, Omar Epps' first movie ever. They were all teenagers. They're like 17, 18 years old. They get them to go to Manhattan, I mean, to Harlem's. So, like, they're actually in Harlem. Um, and he's like, you know, you know, being a bunch of teenagers, like, this was a great, you know, great time for us. Tupac actually befriended some guys um, within, the, within the community. And they ended up Which stealing some equipment. And a lot of, like, random video shoots, movie mm-hmm. shoots. He would just go into the hood and go hang out with the people. Well, unfortunately for him, um, they actually stole the equipment, some equipment from them. So that wasn't the plus for him in this moment. Um, and uh, the sad part was on the news. And at that time, um, there was this huge story about a, a young mother, teenage mother who left her baby in a dumpster. And um, Omar Evans was just talking about how Tupac was really heartbroken by the story and really felt some type of way about this, this story. He wouldn't, he wouldn't let it go. Um, so eventually he shared with him for the first time what he wrote for Brenda got a baby as a baby. So, um, I, I thought that was like really interesting to understand him as an individual. Um, you know, of course, when you, when you're acting, you separate, you, people are able to separate themselves from the actual character but the character he was playing was like, you know, this mean asshole. And then here he is as, a, as, his, as himself, you know, as Tupac, like really grieving and mourning the loss of a baby that wasn't even his. Or just like the fact that he was so hurt that someone could do that to a child. So um, I thought that was an amazing story that Omar Epps shared. So you can find mm-hmm. it. Watch it. I saw that because I watched, I feel like, probably every Tupac documentary there is. And he talks about seeing, um, originally seeing the story. And then as time went on, the story getting smaller and smaller and smaller. And, but they're not coming to any answers. And him uh, being upset with, like, the condition of life that someone must be in to make that decision. Mm-hmm. And people just being able to carry on with their everyday lives. And while there are stories like that numerous throughout in any city USA, uh, this one stuck out to him because it was at a point in time for him and it birthed 
his first hit of Brenda Got a Baby. Yes, yes. Just thought I'd add that. Appreciate it. Little jewels, little nuggets, which again are all throughout this movie because I find it hilarious. Um, the movie starts off with Q. We are introduced really to all of the characters within the first two minutes of the movie. All of the main characters are introduced and we actually get to see their family life, their home life, which is something in movies that isn't always the case. They kind of build up and you get layers of people. But this movie, they just hit you, boom, right at the beginning. They give you a lot of backstory of all of the people involved, which I thought was really cool. Um, And so first they have Q and his mom. We didn't find out he had a younger brother until much later. I don't know why the younger brother didn't make it in the beginning. Oh, yes, we did. We saw him. He was standing, like, in the corner. He just didn't say nothing. Who <laughs> happens to be Junior from off of uh, My Wife and Kids was his younger brother. Um, Get out of here. Yeah, that's George O'Gore. George you know, Gore. Like George his O'Gore. head just continued to grow and his body just stopped when he wow. was in My wow. Wife and Kids. Had he had the same head, Wow. I would have known it was him. I had no idea. Look at him. Oh. <laughs> uh, we meet Bishop, who uh, lives with his grandmother and his father. Uh, I didn't Google it, but I did pause it for a second. I think his grandmother was the same lady from Coming to America that said, if you're really a prince, I'll marry you. They look exactly the same. I might need to what? Google the name and make sure. So you sure. trying to say all black grandmas look the same? Damn, no, I'm man. trying to say black this black matter. grandma looks the same. Trying to say this black gr- grandma looks the same. Don't you get me caught up in no shit. <laughs> <laughs> black lives matter. Black grandmas <laughs> matter. <laughs> Anywho, still. Uh, lives at home with his both of his parents they are together in the same household his brother uh who pulls him off the bed who i have always just wanted to do that ever since i saw this movie because let me just tell you it's not a good fact it's never prosperous as he tells (laughs) (laughs) that's some evil shit to say to somebody (laughs) that is never prosperous he said it with such angst (laughs) i hope he's that You know, life just chin. dealt him that hand. Right. Me and my double chin, we're over here like, I hope you're fat. And then uh, we're introduced to Raheem as well. And it is uh, him, his mother, and his sister who all live together in their household. And she drive her way into the bathroom because she actually has to go to work. And Raheem is just kicking it with his friends, but he will not let her into the bathroom for less than five dollars. Listen. And as soon as she told him, oh, you got a little chest. You, you've been working Looking out. real fine. Listen. I'll give it to you later. <laughs> you can tell that this is clearly before cell phones because they uh, meet up with each other by going to each other's house and yelling out at their windows. Uh, <laughs> which I thought was hilarious. <laughs> I know. Right? I was like, no, you can't text and be like, I'm outside. No, 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 you can't. But more importantly, you couldn't go knock on that man's door? Nah. <laughs> That's when we find out that Raheem uh, is a father. Yes. Bonnet. And Keisha is his baby mama. She said that, uh, oh, you have a thing for Raheem. Mm. Let me just, you know, behave myself. But I do. 
<laughs> they could all get it. Even still? Nah. <laughs> you don't want to do the hoochie coochie, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> nope. <laughs> so, uh, he has a baby with Keisha, which I kind of felt like explained a lot of his leadership energy in the group. He kind of had a paternalistic role as being the leader of the group and, hey, go get my cigarettes and it's your turn and stop. We, that's out of here. We're not doing that. He shut a lot of stuff down. He introduced the idea of sticking up the uh, Quilla store. Um, which had which, me really upset. Explain. Detail. I'm like, you know, you're such a good leader. And here you are leading these these young men to do something stupid like this. Like, all y'all. But the, the sad part is because he was deemed the leader and, you know, um, had that paternal instinct, you know, they felt it was something that they could do. But, I, but on the other hand, uh, Q knew it was wrong. He never wanted to do it in the first place. So I, that's why I was just kind of like, what's, come on now. Yeah, that's twofold for me. I feel like Raheem knew that Q didn't want to do it. And that's why when he met him on the stairs uh, to say, hey, we were going to meet up on, you know, he didn't tell. He was like, why don't you just tell me now? He was like, later, because he knew he was going to say no. So <laughs> if he did it with everybody, they could all together peer pressure him into doing it. Which I feel like. Q didn't want to do it because it was testing the luck. Because if you listen, when the police are interrogating them later on, they say, we know you got popped last year for uh, busting Aquila's store. So they had already robbed that store previously, but got caught. Mm. So that's right. Q being like, no, why are we going to do that? Whatever. But then he was like, he's not going to he's not going to pull out on somebody that got a gun on him was saying, well, we got a gun now, so it's going to go off without a hitch. And they tying the police cars because maybe they didn't do that last time, and that's how they got caught up. Hmm. So I like the little su- subtle intricacies of that whole um, play of it. Um, I think that Rodimus, wherever they found him, that is, he is the most terrible actor I have ever seen, ever in life. Whoever that Puerto Rican man is that played Rodimus. You didn't like that. Motherfucker! (laughs) Him. The villain. Yeah, he was uh, was a bit extra. Mm -hmm. But for no reason. I, I just didn't understand. Like, because. What I found interesting is that from my many years of documentaries is that um, Tretch was originally going for the role of Bishop. He had Tupac with him. Tupac was like, well, I'm here. Let me go ahead and do it. You know, Tretch was like, go ahead and audition. He read for the part. He did Mm -hmm. so well. Tretch was like, yeah, bro, you got that. So Tretch ends up being one of Rodimus' goons and it's in the background. I'm like, did Tretch do so bad that he couldn't play. So anybody could have played Rodimus. Listen. But them being so close, I thought was funny too, because like later on, if you listen to Pac, he like, 
Batman, the one with the braids, also about to crack him. And then, like, when they actually do fight, he go for Trek first. Because in real life, <laughs> I thought that was yeah because he was annoying he was definitely one of those annoying characters like shut up why are you still alive that <laughs> alive you want the man to die <laughs> you know i thought he was going to be the one to get taken out first you know i was like he gotta go even as a kid when i first watched i was like please let it be him he didn't do him first <laughs> So do you remember watching this movie as a kid? I do. I do remember it. And I felt so confused. Really? Yeah. And I felt, yeah. I was just like, you know, like, wow. I remember this is the very first movie that I can remember going to the movies to see. Like, I can fully remember me and my mom getting on a train, going downtown to the downtown movie theater. Your mom took you to see this movie? Because my mom's a G. Uh, appreciate you. Wow. Oh, looks. Um, I, like, I remember the smell of the popcorn because downtown movie theater popcorn smelled different. Like I remember the whole experience of going to see this movie. This is the first movie that I can remember going to a movie theater to go and watch. Well... Okay, I'm going to share my age. This is 92. I was definitely a toddler. So, I, girl, I was only four. I shouldn't be able to remember this, but I fully remember going to the movies to go see this. Well, I, I don't, like, I remember seeing it, of course, not at two, but, like, <laughs> around six or seven while it was, like, you know, on somebody's DVD. No, VHS. no it was on someone's VHS. Dude, I almost misspoke. Girl, there were no DVDs at the time. Oh, what am I talking about? So yeah, I remember seeing it on VH on VHS or probably yeah, maybe HBO or some some crap like that. And I was just like this. I remember feeling like I didn't like Tupac. Like, and um, I I that movie villainized him for me. And of course, growing up in New York. And it's like Tupac and Biggie. It's like, nah, Biggie. Because Tupac is mean. <laughs> because that's Tupac what I had. Raheem. Like, how can we support uh, him after he did that? And you know, when they, <laughs> like, you know when they came out with the song, We Always Love Big Papa. Like the song. Uh, so a kid asked me, what does it mean? Why, why do they say we always love Big Papa? And I was like, maybe because he's everybody's papa. And so, <laughs> I didn't realize that he had died. Like, I don't know where I was as a kid, but I just wasn't all the way there. Even as an adult, I don't think I'm all the way here with things that are happening. So that's just where I was with this movie. The end. I had a love, I had a roller coaster with Pac, I remember as a child. Uh, and part of it I didn't remember, like one of my cousins or uncles had to remind me and it was like, no, you didn't like him at this point. But then you started liking him again. It, it, he just had a lot going on at the time. <laughs> yeah. I was young. I didn't understand the global impact that he would have on my life for, throughout the rest of my years. But at the time, me and him, that's issues. <laughs> wow. Wow. <laughs> I hope you but, work um, I did want to mention that in my neighborhood, that song, that big proper song, we used to make fun of uh, Loose Mamas. 
We'll always love your mama. Damn. We, you were a part of that? Um, like I was saying, uh, it's just funny to hear other people's experiences <gasps> with different things oh. in different places. You big bully. And here you are, a school counselor. Look how the world unturned around. <laughs> God had a calling on my life. He knew what he was doing. He needed to take me through it. <laughs> mm. <laughs> so that I could be. <laughs> so you can yeah, understand can both sides. It. I know, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But I mean, we kids, everybody got both sides. Do you see? I've been this bright my whole life. I had to fight. <laughs> All my life, I had to fight. <laughs> Speaking of bullies, wasn't um who was the biggest bully in this in this, obviously? Ah, he was bullying the hell out of steel. Even when they were like friends during the fun part. But one, if I lose, I'm gonna beat that ass. But two, if I lose, I'm gonna beat that ass. That ass. Put, put my fucking corners in and get this goddamn I'm game started. <laughs> and I'll be getting that ass. <laughs> Another, yeah, another still was like, getting bullied by his friend. I know. And still stuck in school again, again. <laughs> <laughs> but you couldn't tell him nothing. Like he had, he had all the swag with his little bucket cap on. There were some hilarious parts of the movie, like when they did tell Steele that Donald Brownwell used to be Donald Donald. Brownwell. (laughs) That was a good one. That was. (laughs) And I appreciated that even it being 92, there was no negative connotation of that uh, trans person experience. And they were so well in their presentation that they had Steele fooled. (laughs) <laughs> there was no bashing of steel for <laughs> thank you so much his appreciation nice of the beauty yes it's just you know it warm my heart because you know a lot of times when you go back on some of these movies some of the stuff they be doing you be like yeah that's problematic right but, <laughs> I'm, you know I really need to do a google search of when they ch- changed the word transvestite because they were saying that word for a long time until recently. When did they change that? This being the DSM, if we look closely, I think in the gender dysphoria section, that is still, I don't think it's specifically transvestite, but it is something along the lines of that. Have you been All right. Transvestite originated in 1910. No, ma'am. Um, transsexual was not coined until 1949 and transgender was not coined until 1971. Hmm. Trans is a very British term. Um, and that came in, in, uh, 1996. Which would have been after this movie. Yeah. So they still would have been like, they could have called it uh, trans, well, transvestite or transsexual. But so it's for someone to say transvestite, it's, it's dated from 1910. 
So saying transvestite, I hate to do the comparison, but it's almost as, as equivalent to saying Negro, like having the term Negro mentioned really? in, 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 all right, I'm not going to go there, but whatever. Yeah, that got real deep real fast. But uh, I was wrong. It is not in the gender dysphoria section of the DSM. If you are looking to follow along in your text, it is in the <laughs> paraphilic disorder and it is listed as transvestic disorder. Um, but it is more so tied to those sexual urges being attached to that. Um, you can have with fetishism if it is sexually aroused, that person is sexually aroused by fabrics, materials, or the garments. Or also gynophilia, where if they are sexually aroused by thoughts or images of self as a female. This has absolutely nothing to do with the movie, but... It doesn't, but, you know, it really kind of makes me upset that, you know, they, they've been deemed as deviant, you know, in a similar light. Anyhow. And let's not forget that while we are both um, mental health practitioners, still being aware that um, the DSM, the Diagnostic Statistical Manual, is still written from a white supremacist point of view, a patriarchal point of view, um, and clearly homophobic point of view. Uh, the being gay was only removed from the DSM so many years ago. Um, so keeping that in mind, I hope all practitioners use that focus when working with uh, people of color, people of uh, various different lifestyles, uh, sexual orientations, um, cultural backgrounds, is that it is still a very uh, supremacist used tool to control people. But that doesn't mean that all mental health is used in that way and that everyone should still be focused on healing and being the best them that they can be. Um, and that is why we need more people of color especially black practitioners in our field. Yes. I'm going to get off my soapbox. I loved it. So, I don't feel like, I feel like even though Steele was like the scared one, the comic relief one in the group, he was the most mentally stable person out of the whole little crew. He was just scared. (laughs) And the shit they was doing was scary. He was supposed to be scared. Mhm. So, so between Still and and Q, who do you you think even Q was mentally unstable? I feel that he had some um, issues afterwards. After Raheem was killed, I feel like before that, yes. Um, but I felt like him coping through the the death of Raheem, the murder of Raheem, and Bishop being the one killing him was very difficult for him to cope with. He did often have like flashbacks of seeing Raheem. He then became super hypervigilant, had exaggerated responses to being startled when he almost shot the homeless man mm-hmm. who another overactor, don't shoot me. Please, please, don't shoot me. <laughs> but, um, Gosh. <laughs> I feel like both of those are examples of his difficulty with coping with the loss. And um, I will talk about diagnosis later, but I definitely felt like there was some um, trauma, stress induced disorder there um, with him. While, well, as I feel with Steele, 
he witnessed the same murder. He uh, even spent more time with Bishop, seeing that Bishop, you know, took him to the arcade and they had spent time together. Uh, and he was scared and then was shot by Bishop. He right. still seemed to be coping with things in a more healthy, adaptive way. Um, I think he definitely will need some form of um, therapy afterwards. But throughout the movie, that boy was solid in his mind. And he was mm-hmm. a strong young black man. He got shot in the shoulder and pulled himself up. By the bootstrap. Right. All the way to the street. Mm, hallelujah. <laughs> I didn't have any other response. Clearly. Um, <laughs> I also like that you could tell the times um, from the movie by their not being social media. So he found out about the DJing contest from the poster on the mm-hmm. wall. I was like, oh, it wasn't off like a feed. Nowadays, it would be like, scrolling, look, y'all. But right. he saw it on the poster. Yeah, I thought it was cool that he had um, his own sense of being. Like, he had a hobby. He had a skill. And I feel like if Bishop he just had something other than just wanting to dominate <laughs> or, or feel some sense of, of control because or power is, is what I'm getting because of his home life. It's like he had to assert dominance and power in, in other aspects. And so with his friends, he could do that. Um, and we could talk about Tupac and, his, and I mean, I'm sorry, Bishop and his father's relationship too. Um, I'm sure we'll talk about it some more, but uh, I do feel like had they had different um, different things that they were interested in outside of each other as a group, they probably wouldn't have been in trouble. That's just maybe my open-mindedness. And really, I feel like we can, we can dive into that now. I think that um, a lot of Bishop's issues with wanting the juice, wanting that control, wanting to assert um, dominance to the point of toxic, uh, toxicity, Mm-hmm. came a lot from and we just assume it to be true because of how upset his response was um but his father being incarcerated and dealing with the trauma of being assaulted violated and abused in prison and that mm-hmm. having an effect on him in the long run um it doesn't say whether or not he suffered from any anything prior to him being incarcerated but if he didn't, and this is the result of all of the stuff that went on on the inside, that's terrible. If he did, it it can almost be expected that he was then violated because those those vulnerable people are the most like most likely the ones to be violated, to be assaulted, to have horrible things happen to them on the inside because they are a vulnerable population. People feel like they do stuff to people because they can. And unfortunately, mm-hmm. there aren't any real mental health services offered inside of the prisons. They give, um, they might give you some medication management, but other than that, it's ass whoopings and isolation. Basically, I mean the institutional institutionalization institution. Mm, mm, mm. Let it marinate for a second. 
institutionalization institutionalization and I just can't pronounce words. Institutionalization. (laughs) Think of a a different word. (laughs) But that's what happened. You know, most men who are coming out of prison are institutionalized. And in some cases, you know, they they become used to this type of lifestyle and living. Um, And so what what was interesting viewing the book more, I mean, viewing the, the movie more deeply and is that even when he was watching what he was watching on TV, he was watching cartoons, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and then the fact that he placed money in his shirt pocket made me think, okay, th- is there a, a dysfunctional, like a, a cognitive dysfunction disorder, or um, is there an addiction in there as well? Or is this, is this depression? So it was just so many things that I started to think about just in that moment where he places that and he tells him, take it easy. So all of that is, is what I'm kind of using to determine what diagnosis would be given to the father. Um, and then even, uh, what's the guy, what's the bully's name? Um, Rod, Rodames, Radams? Radames, honey. Radames. <laughs> Radames. Um, <laughs> oh, Lord. Radam. <laughs> oh, God. Um, Radames. You said Radim. Radames. Radames said, you crazy just like your father to Bishop. And he about took him out. Um, and so uh, I think I don't know. Like, I don't know what his diagnosis would be. Other, maybe po- possibly uh, bipolar depression. So I have gone a couple different avenues with this. Um, okay. First things first, I would like to know what the hell his daddy was supposed to do with $5. That's a grown-ass man. He put $5 in my pocket. That's 1992. $5 had a little bit of a, of a value. Back the party then. tape cost 15 Maybe it was just for a pack of cigarettes. Maybe I'm okay. But that and that that again also says okay, this is him inserting power because like I got you, Dad. I'm gonna give you five dollars. You know? No, I completely get it. And the clinical side of me, yes, agrees with you. Um, however, the petty part of me says, as a grown ass man, and you gave him five dollars. But that's neither here nor there. Do you know what you could do with five dollars and five below? You can buy so many pieces of candy. You can buy was Harlem in '92. Was there a five and below? There was a ninety-nine cent okay. store, and a ninety-nine cent store is jewel. Actually, at that time, you was able to get ten cent packs of sunflower seeds. Now they only have the twenty-five cent pack, and you was able to get the little nine later for five cent too. I know what I'm talking about. And a Swedish fish for five cents. You get a huggy for a quarter. Exactly. So you can have a whole ass meal with five dollars. As a kid, five dollars was a lot. Exactly. That was a grown man. Okay, again. But the grown yeah, man was right also there. but the grown man was also watching cartoons. 
so maybe that's why he only gave him five dollars because he's maybe not responsible enough to do anything more with more money again clinically i feel you patty anyway um you can get heroin for five dollars <laughs> we got them drug addicted too. Institutionalization definitely could explain his catatonic state. Speaking of the catatonic state, has led me down different uh, corridors on possibly thinking on why I would need more information in order to be able to diagnose uh, right, more fully. Right. Um, a lot of research and a lot of sites, a lot of things that I've read throughout the years, a lot of people you know, just talking about the film, <clears throat> said that dad had post-traumatic stress disorder. However, there are certain hallmarkers of uh, post-traumatic stress that we're not able to see or witness in um, our brief interaction with the dad and the things that we hear about him. Now, follow me for a second. What if dad had schizophrenia, which would explain the catatonic it would be an unspecified we don't know if it's continuous or if it's unspecified i would go with unspecified because he did give him money because he couldn't continuously be in a catatonic state which means he's not moving he's not functioning there's no response um he wouldn't have given him the money if you know he was continuously in that but also if dad did have schizophrenia as a result of the years of trauma that he did sustain um Schizophrenia can also be hereditary. And so what if the things and the behaviors that we were seeing in Tupac were not the symptoms of some other diagnosis, but were his reaction to the changes that he was going through because of the onset of his possible schizophrenia? And let that marinate for a second. We should think about that. I'm not saying that he was schizophrenic. I'm just saying that it it's another potential possibility of why I would need more information. And given the setting, given the um, environment that Tupac Bishop, given the environment that Bishop was living in, he could not react in a way that um, people would assume him to with the onset of schizophrenia because that would be seen as weakness and with his issues of power and control, him asserting himself in that way would make a little bit more sense as well as um, in males right around that age range, 17 to about 24 is when you start to see that onset of schizophrenia um, okay. If it is something that just happens hereditarily as opposed to a result of some outside. Well, you, meant, you know what, what comes to mind is you're right. I am crazy. And you know what else? I don't give a fuck. I don't give a fuck about you. I don't give a fuck about Steel. I don't give a fuck about Raheem. I don't give a fuck about myself. And you're less of a man than me. <laughs> Man, so, can you can you know like do you know where you are mentally to really say that I don't give a fuck about myself? Look, I ain't shit. I ain't never gonna be shit. As soon as I decide that you ain't gonna be shit, so be it. That, you remember that? Cause I'm the motherfucker y'all need to be worried about. Partner, and then he was so confident in that. 
that Q wasn't going to do nothing. He turned his back on that nigga and pulled his hood up. So it was just like, I'm mm. walk off part in my back. Mm. Damn. <sighs> but yes, and so I struggled with whether or not we were seeing the onset of schizophrenia or because of his age. I had to take into account his age as well because, you know, I'm very quick to always be like, whoopsie, antisocial personality disorder. But I wanted to fully take into account his age and look at um, him possibly having um, conduct, a severe case of conduct disorder um, with adolescent onset. I say adolescent onset instead of childhood onset is because like they were friends, they had this bond, and then all of a sudden as they got older, it progressively separated them. So that's why I said with adolescent onset with limited pro-social emotions, including callousness and lack of remorse or guilt. And that lack of remorse or guilt comes from that I don't mm-hmm. fuck about you, I don't fuck about Steel, and I don't give a fuck about Raheem either. Mm-hmm. I, you know, when you first introduced the schizophrenia as a, as a possibility, I was like, yeah, you know, I can see that. But now that you're men- mentioning um, this conduct disorder, it's like, that is definitely what you're seeing because there is no remorse. Absolutely none. Um, even hey, when let me throw this monkey wrench in there again, because uh-huh. I've been thinking about this and I've been thinking about it. And the more I think about it, I think the more that I confuse myself because I also thought about schizotypal personality disorder. And so looking at that, What's the criteria? Let's go back to my DSM. I will read the criteria for you. It is in the personality section of our DSM. It is a pervasive pattern of social and interpersonal deficits marked by acute discomfort with and reduced capacity for close relationships, as well as cognitive or perceptual distortions and eccentricities in behavior. Um, so. I say that because he started pushing them away. Those close relationships, that, that mm-hmm. was his close relationship, his system of support. He started pushing them away. He was bullying Steel. Mm-hmm. Him and Q started getting arguments all the time. Mm-hmm. And then those um, distortions and eccentricities of behavior, those cognitive, rather, those cognitive and perceptual distortions, he, when he shot the store owner, he made a move. No, we didn't. We was looking right at him. Right. Yes, he did. And then later on, when he shot Raheem, he shouldn't have went for the gun like that. Yeah, yeah. I believe that influences behaviors is inconsistent with subcultural norms. So like belief in other things and preoccupations, unusual perceptual experiences, um, odd, odd thinking and speech, which could be his... Um, over over elaborative like when he had that whole story of planned out on how he was going to frame Q how he was going to blame him for all of the murders and he was just the only one who was man enough to stop him mm-hmm. um the suspiciousness or paranoia ideation because for a while it did seem like he was protecting himself because they were out to get him so he was being preemptive and attacking everyone else first yeah, it makes me think about when he felt when he said that they he felt like he was on a track team because he felt like he was running from everybody. All we do is run. Yeah. And with that, I also saw the so the excessive social anxiety that does not diminish with 
familiarity and tends to be associated with paranoid fears rather than negative judgment about self. Mm. He didn't think nothing else. He didn't think nothing was wrong with him. He thought something was wrong with everybody else. Mm-hmm. So I have three different options. <laughs> See, and now I feel like I sound incompetent because now I'm like, oh, I like that one now too. No, but okay. Out of if if it was a you know first, second, or last uh, diagnosis, I definitely feel like the last one definitely, definitely speaks to him and his behaviors. Um, of course, the other ones could possibly apply, but of but we would need a little more. I think and this one again. Considering age, we technically could not diagnose him with any of those other things because, uh, well, actually, he is over the age of 15. However, with continuity of care and you want not wanting to uh, diagnose high, you rather diagnose low and then treat what you need to treat. Um, I would say that he probably um, more than likely would end up with a conduct disorder um, diagnosis that eventually led to maybe a personality disorder or if it was oh. schizophrenia, then that will come later on. Uh, but starting out, even from his experiences at school with him uh, not going, being truant, mm-hmm. um, and then the experience of him helping rob a store last year, all of that would probably factor into him receiving a conduct well, disorder diagnosis. Also, his real investment and excitement to go into the bar and be a part of that that stick up. Like, let's do this. Like, what you mean? No, he was ready to to be, you know, in that type of action. And so, um, yeah, I think that's just another instance where he just wasn't fully aware of the consequences of his actions. But I feel like I feel like he might have been aware and fully accepting of the consequences of those actions. Because he asked Q more than once, are you ready to die? Mm. And he talked about how Blizzard, like, yeah, okay, he died, but he got his juice. Yeah, the man in the movie, why he he died. He took his destiny in his own motherfucking hand. But he died, but he took his destiny into his own hands. He exerted his power, his control, and then died with the juice. Mm, so death was... Death was the sacrifice you'd have to make to have the juice. It's a possible sacrifice, but you have to be willing to risk it in order to get. But then, even though he risked it by being, he didn't get thrown off. He kind of like accidentally fell off the roof. Um, Then it went to Q. So all of that for it to land in Q's hands in the first place, I mean, at the end, and he didn't even want it in the first place. He didn't want it. And it was thrust upon him. I feel bad. But I also heard that uh, for 25th year home release version something, there was an alternate ending. Oh. Yes, girl. And so in the alternate ending, say everything leading up is the same. And then he's holding him over the, uh, over the, the ledge. And Pac Bishop that's up calling him pop. I know, right? Bishop, <laughs> Bishop hears the sirens and says, I'm not going to jail. And willingly lets go. <sighs> but that's so much more theatrical. I wonder why that one, why they didn't go with that one. Because is it, is it then uh, glorifying 
suicide because that was also an era um, in television, especially when, and that's why we got a lot of uh, we like I wrote it. That's why <laughs> there was a lot of pushback for Thirteen Reasons Why because it. Uh, I think our society has this fear of addressing a lot of issues, um, including one of them being um, suicide and stigmatizing a lot of things that are outside of the norm. Um, And so I wonder uh, if that was not the chosen ending because he he commits suicide. Potentially see that if his alternative wasn't prison. You have to think his father allegedly was raped multiple times in prison. Mm -hmm. Prison is what turned his father into the state that he's in now, assuming from what we were given. It's like the people who's, it's it's like a killmonger. I bury me at the sea. It's better than life in bondage. So I don't know. I don't know with that one. Um, If his alternative wasn't prison, then yes. But his alternative being prison and his experience with someone that he loves being in prison and what that did to him and what happened to him on the inside, I could see not wanting to live that life. Okay, and then why having, I think maybe why they didn't have the ending of him just letting go is then like, now who is going to get the juice? And so it's like, did he, did he earn it more because he, he let him slip away with the, with the version we saw? I don't does, know. Does that change him seeing him die? I think it probably would have been healthier for Q if he, if Bishop let go than mm-hmm. him not being able to hold on. Granted, he was shot in the arm because Bishop shot him in the arm and he's trying to hold him up. That's so I can see how he would physically not be able to potentially hold him up. But and then also the fear of being taken down with him. The fear of being taken down, but he got to the point where he was like, it was like the evil Bishop left and he was like, Q, don't let me go. Like hearing that was like, Oh, and then the possible survivor's guilt that that Q might experience because of his inability to pull him back back up. So this one guy, I'm not going to say any names, said something so deep when we watched it. You know, um, (laughs) this one guy, guy, his name begins with an E and his last name is S. Just do the initials. Don't want to give him too much credit. So, you know, he said that um, the imagery of even that scene of of Bishop being swallowed by the darkness of that alley just was, you know, him finally falling into that that ultimate darkness. Like it was creeping, it was grabbing at him, it was there, and then he succumbed to that darkness at the end. You know, um, I think that was a very artful ex- expression of, you know, this tug of war that you could not, it wasn't even a war, like the darkness won in this movie with him. Um, I think that was a really nice depiction of it. But don't tell tell the ES person I said it. Nope, not at all. Lips are sealed. But that, you bring that up, reminds me of the movie Ghost, where the shadows were chasing and pulling at the people mm. that died, um, mm-hmm. letting them know that they was going to hell. Mm. 
And then I found that ironic how many times he asked and the intensity in which he asked you, I don't know, nigga, you ready to die? But then when it came time for him, it was cute. Don't let me go with the with the with the yeah. ending that we got. It was cute. Don't let me go. Like he wasn't ready to die. Please, baby, baby, please. <laughs> he threw that on there. He definitely would have lived. I wanted your reaction to this is just pulling this out of the air. But I want your reaction to the elevator scene. What you gonna do? Shoot me in the elevator? How did wow. you feel about that? I was like, no. I like, I was like, jeez. Like that. I was like, man, he really did. Why would you test him? Like, you know he's crazy. Y'all had a whole conversation. You really put other people's lives in jeopardy just because you want to test to see if this nigga really, really crazy. Yes, he is. <laughs> <laughs> that was so annoying. Like, God, you idiot. Yes, yes, and he showed you. <laughs> I was like, "Good for your ass." That's just chess get. Which well, more importantly, I appreciate how smooth the dude picks up the gun, puts it in his jacket, and continues to bop his head to music. Sick man is sick. <laughs> I was like, "Look at <laughs> <in> New York." <laughs> I know, jeez. And then them going into the party, and the song that's playing is uh, "Cypress Hill." Oh, I could just kill a man. I said, oh, this is so perfect. This is right? so perfect. Whoever did the score. But I'm if you know. notice, when Raheem, not Raheem, when Q walks through the party looking for Bishop, he finds Bishop by the window talking to a girl. I don't know if you paid attention, but mm-hmm. the girl that he was talking to was the famous uh, female rapper Yo-Yo. Because at the time, Yo-Yo and Pac was messing around. Oh, get out of here. There's some tea. I live for it. I had no idea. You know, Yo-Yo's on um, Love and Hip Hop LA. I don't know why, but yes. Yeah, she's on there. So it's just kind of like, come on, Yo-Yo, why would you do that to yourself? You know what it means when you end up on Love and Hip Hop. Well, I can't say I that. I her maybe- reasoning because she wanted to promote a lot of things that she was doing in the yeah. community with the yeah. youth. But you know they don't want to see that positive shit on there, yo yo, and they're gonna edit all that shit out and they only gonna show you breaking right. up fights between Instagram models and you know addicted back page bitches. Jesus. Why she do that? And then I'm like like Remy Ma too, like Remy Ma and Papoos like, hey y'all are trying to sprinkle your positivity. But nobody <laughs> nobody's here for it. I absolutely love them. I I have nothing negative to say about bringing my aunt or tattoos. No, that's why I'm like I love everything period. about them. I like them being on Love and Hip Hop. It, it they actually provide balance on the show. The positivity. Be positive. Yeah. Everyone mm-hmm. else may edit out all of their positive stuff, but Pat and Remy, I guess they probably only give them positive stuff to run, so they right. have to run it. But even when Rem first got out and she wasn't as positive, yes, and she <laughs> she was still institutionalized. Uh, I drag bitches and hold on a second because I'm gonna have to smack this. <laughs> um, I just love I love them. I love Remy before. I love Remy when she was just featured on Big Pun CD. I love her since then. I just love her. 
And I'm glad that she stopped doing that wet and wavy weave because I didn't love that. I didn't. What? But I, I don't. No, no, you don't have what she had. You don't remember when she used to have the different colored this part bang. Oh yeah! Oh, like, oh Lord! But maybe, but it more look more like she just went back over it with a crimp iron. Mm-hmm. Um, but neither here nor there. I love her. I love nineties hairstyles. That's blame the nineties. Oh well, the two thousands a little loose and reckless. Um, you know, it was kind of <laughs> like transitioning from the nineties into the the early two thousand. It was rough. We didn't know if we wanted Especially to be space cool. aliens or what. Mm-hmm. It was really rough for, for hair during that time. For, but, and I think for Black women, because like, it was like, are we still doing this perm or are we going natural? It was just this weird thing. The happening. transition phase for us. We were, we were rocking the, the braids going to the back and we would have the bandana with the diamonds on it. That's what we was, you remember that? And there was a, bad, uh, a lot of bad leave out. Yes, uh, most certainly. Yeah, quick ways was it. It was popping. Horse hair made a, mm. made a comeback. Wow. <laughs> Talk about transition with hair. Anywho. I felt like this film did a good job of expressing um, the mistrust for police and law enforcement all throughout the film, the entire criminal justice system without it ever being spoken. The violations of uh, Bishop's mm-hmm. father while incarcerated, mm. everyone's refusal to call the police to fight. Um, mm. And then the dopest line, unfortunately, because it's true and it's sad and it, it hurts that it is true, is when Quincy says, we three niggas in a police station. You want us to be guilty? We'll be guilty. Mm. Mm-hmm. It hurt my heart. Even the fact, even the fact that they were like, you know, playing their games in the, in the, in the arcade or wherever the hell they were, um, you know, and the fact that they just came in and could just start arresting people because like, I mean, I get, I guess. They were arresting like, them. That was the only time they was doing their job. Them was truancy officers taking them kids back to school. Okay. Okay. I mean, but still like that just running after and listen i'm not this is why i'm not in the field i'm not chasing uh-uh because uh-uh. you ain't at school, school that's your badge you're not gonna have no money when you go up unless you okay. cover invent or design something but i'm oh, not I doing see. all of that hard work i already got my degrees you know, i'm okay mm-hmm. i'm past english <laughs> this is why i can't <laughs> have kids i'd be like you don't want to go to school cool <laughs> Cool. But I just appreciate Samuel Jackson for being so cool. He's running the business and he is allowing all of them to be there. All when the of police it. come, they're here to take y'all asses back to school. <laughs> As a matter of fact, you know, you know you're wrong. I told you. And you know what's funny? He probably told them so many friggin' times and none of them listened. So he's like, it's fine. I'm not going to say nothing no more. They're going to come and get y'all asses and, and I ain't going to say nothing else. <laughs> That is the most black man response you could give. Go ahead. Uh, there were so many just unsung, strong black characters. Samuel Jackson, sweet, who was selling all these kids weapons. Listen, okay. Tell your mama Sherry said hi. <laughs> okay, like what? 
yeah, ma, I bought a gun to get today. And she, the lady told me to tell you hi. And she said, what's up? <laughs> she said, what's up? No, nah, Frank won't over there. Frank won't dare. So let's talk about this pedophile in this movie. Before we, we end it, because I, I can't deal with her. She made me so uncomfortable. I did not realize what was really happening. Me neither. So as a child, I'm like, ha, 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 ex-husband, he's corny. He has, he has patches on his elbows. Ha, 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 ha. He had some sense. And is she going through psychosis with something wrong with her? Because one, one, she was grown enough. We don't know how old she really was. But she was grown enough to have a whole ass ex-husband. And she is talking to Q, who is clearly possibly a junior, maybe at best a senior in high school. And he not doing good, clearly. Problem number one. Two, if you listen to husband say, taking the save the kids, uh, kids push it a little bit too far, which means that she be doing stuff in the <sighs> community to save the kids. Third, she can't even cook. She talked about, is there something wrong with your food? Hey, bitch, it came out of a box. No, I don't want this beef and broccoli. Why did you light a candlelit dinner for us to eat beef and broccoli? First of all, this is a very sexy meal. Very sexy. A lot of aphrodisiacs in the sauce. Fuck you. Okay, and then three. <laughs> four. I done lost count. I'm counting. But that. Because small heifer ain't even good at being a doggone nurse. Because when Steele got rolled into there, into that hospital room, she's going to wear that old nasty-ass damn CNA sweater with all outside and people's juices on it into that uh, secure fucking sterile room where they are operating on someone with a whole gunshot wound and you in there unauthorized just talking to them, touching all on them. You can't even wash your hands Okay, I would just say that, that you know, because it's a movie, they didn't realize what they was doing. Okay, well, then another point. All right. She was working out. Q came over. And he kissed she didn't her. She didn't want to wash her ass before they did the nasty shit. What's wrong with sweat? Sweat, do you? Okay. No, because he's a fucking child. And then. Hmm. Another one? Come on. Yes, yes. Because the bitch just, just. Just a fucking predator. Just a child, damn, grooming-ass predator. And it's special victims. <laughs> Call special victims right now. We need Olivia. Stat. Yeah. She just violated Q in so many ways. And then why was... Okay, you knew his older joint. He, he at your house. Because he, like, on the hideout. Because it's wild shit going on. Why still got your number and feel comfortable calling your house? A movie. It's a movie. <laughs> I agree. I agree. So and then she, she mad at him. Well, he's okay. He's hyper vigilant, and uh-huh. he um, recognizes his hyper vigilance means that he's hyper aware, and things are you know scaring him, and his brain is um, picking up on stimuli um, a lot quicker and having a larger response to it. So she walks in the room. It scares the shit out of him because he is reading the article about Raheem's murder. Mm-hmm. And he's, you know, proceeds to go in on her and be disrespectful. But then she says, I am not one of your little high school playmates. If you cannot respect me in my home, then you can get out of my home. 
that's the argument you want to use, you old bitch fucking with this little nigga. Yes. And that, that's where I was so upset. I was like, um... <laughs> he only knows how to address you as high school because he's in high school. Right. And so, like, okay, now I'm thinking I give her the benefit of the doubt. Like, maybe she was a young teenage bride and she was, you know, kind of coerced into this relationship with this dude. So now, as you know, when she when she grows into like becoming twenty one, she she got married at eighteen, and then she turns twenty one, and then she's like, you know what? He's too he's too grown. He's too grown. I like the childish. I want to go back to being a child. So she went to to the younger folk. That's my theory. I'm sticking to it. <clears throat> you don't believe that shit. All right. <laughs> <laughs> That I did have a thought process like that because I'm just like, how close in age or how far in age are they? Because she still looked young too. I mean, her her husband on the other end did look older. So I I thought about that and I was just sharing with you my theory, my internal theory. But I mean, I, I won't share that no more. Sure. She took advantage of that boy. She did. It was rape. And so that made me think about, you know, that whole thing with, with Lil Boosie. And his son getting sucked off by some some older woman, uh, friend of of Lil Boosie, and him saying that that was him preparing for him, pre- preparing him to be a man. So I think that kind of further perpetuates this idea that young black boys are men well before they're even actually physically and, and like biologically men. The over and then we over criminalize our young black boys and girls, and so you know over sexualize our young black girls and boys, and so with that, you know I feel like that continues to perpetuate this idea, and even just seeing that that glimpse of that in a movie. But I mean, I, I'm sure if we actually looked and really paid attention, like there were more instances similar to this at that time too. Yes. Yolanda just made me mad because if you are going to be the older chick that is dibbling and dabbling and messing with a younger dude, like, that's that's not your boyfriend. She was treating him like that was her boyfriend. Like, it's not like this was just, oh, that's her young thing, and you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, divorcee, trying to, Stella trying to get her groove back, even though she, uh, granted, is much younger than Stella. But she was treating him like a whole life boyfriend. That was that was weird. I don't and then I'm and like, well, they had a whole relationship and they had pictures together from previously. So which made me feel like, how long were you talking to this little boy? Because she was helping him of the project. Above eight, you were above eighteen this entire time. No matter how far back we go, but at some point he he's just getting younger and younger, and you're still above eighteen, and you just nah. Yeah, because I mean, yeah, when you mama maybe, knew that she was talking to Yolanda. Well, maybe maybe he was a part of the program that she was facilitating. And like that was just one of her little young buzz that she she just was really fond of. And the older he got, the finer he looked. And she should go to jail. And that is why she should. She should. But we don't have the same type of um, 
penalty or punishment or even the same type the type of victimization for men who experience child abuse or rape? We don't. The boys, honestly, men are taught to think that that makes them more men yeah. because they and were younger he, with an older woman. And mm-hmm. as women, we are taught that you either you are being fast or that man is just gross. And it is not the same stipulations for uh, males, which then creates an unhealthy relationship for them with sex and relationships as they grow older. And it's not fair. It's wrong. But I work in a school system. Mm-hmm. So if I ever see anyone doing anything like that, if I don't call the authorities on you, I'm going to whoop your ass because you nasty. You need your ass whooped. That's a kid. Oh. But I digress. Of course, I would not whoop somebody's ass. I am a mental health professional and I have all my professional hat right now. And I'm just speaking that as a euphemism for the level of disgust that I would read. She she meant it. She meant that. Don't. However, uh, moving on. How the fuck did the police know so quick? Like, the store got robbed. 20 minutes later, they went straight to the DJ competition. Okay, talk about that definitely like, being a movie fit. Like, Q, we, we need you. We Come come down off the stage. Yeah, we, we need you and, and these two right here. Come on, us three. Out of the Go. crowd of people, you able to find them that quick? Get out of here. Get <laughs> out. It's like, but you know, they had my man, she. What's his name? That wasn't him? <gasps> they look just alike in that movie. They don't. They do. They both had that, like, Are you talking the hairline about the, went that back, that way. You're talking like, about the detective, right? Yeah, she. That guy. No, that, that's not him. That's not him? <laughs> but no, let, let, let's leave it, because not everybody is going to be as versed in the, in the films. You know, I was I was added to the 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 cameos that you were talking about earlier. I was like, yeah, yeah, that's another one I contributed, but not so much. Yeah, there were a lot of cameos, though. Like, believe special ed was the Keisha's new boyfriend that was picking her up in the car. I, I Samuel Jackson, of course. I Orange Juice Jones. I still believe that the grandma is the lady that said, uh, "I'll marry you." Um, you can fact check me later if you feel like you need to. <laughs> of course, we had Queen Latifah, Ed Lover, Dr. Dre was in there. Um, the Dr. Dre that goes with Ed Lover, not Dr. Dre from Compton. But um, uh, we had Tretch as being one of the goons. Um, there was a lot of people in this. On top of the already star-studded cast. However, they of course, they weren't star-studded at the time. A lot of them were early in their careers. We had Flex in the movie as well. Um, but a lot of the people who were in this movie went on to do awesome and amazing things to have longevity in their careers. So, shout out to the entire cast of this movie for being great and awesome. Um, with all of that being said, we have talked about almost all of the characters. So, going forward, we need to come to a concise diagnosis for our main characters and as well as our prognosis. How do we see them um, getting better? What type of treatment would we offer these individuals to make sure that they are happy and healthy functioning human beings later on in life, at least for the ones who are still living? Um, 
starting off with Bishop, have we come to a consensus of conduct disorder? Are we agreeing? Would you like to disagree? Pose a new possible diagnosis? What would you like? I agree with conduct disorder. I'm going to stick with that one. Age permitting, because we don't know exactly 16, 17, or 18 where he fell in there, or if at all. So conduct disorder, it would be. Um, His dad, though, Bishop's father, what are you saying for him? I agree with schizophrenia. So what um, do you have, or can you speak to at all, the common treatment methods for individuals with schizophrenia? Uh, medication. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately, yes, that is the main um, the mainstay in treatment for um, individuals with schizophrenia. Uh, there's lots of medication management and a lot of case management because, unfortunately, a lot of uh, people who are battling uh, or diagnosed with schizophrenia are also battling other diagnoses. In addition to those, it often um, is that people are choosing to self-medicate and using other substances, or their schizophrenia uh, has impeded their ability to function in everyday life or care for themselves in a regular way so that they don't have family members that can help them and um, you know check on them, make sure that their day-to-day is okay. They might struggle with things like housing, um, medical care, different things like that. And so other issues become larger because of their inability to handle them because of the diagnosis, as well as some of the side effects and states that uh, occur because of the actual medications they are trying to take. We do know that medication management is different for every person. And a lot of times it is a lot of trial and error until that person finds the right um, medication cocktail that is for them. Um, Q. We haven't talked about Q's diagnosis. What would you diagnose Quincy? And if you notice, his name is Quincy Call in this movie, and then later on, he's Quincy McCall in Love and Basketball. I just want Wow, I love how you connected that. That was beautiful. I didn't know. Um, as far as Quincy, I think PTSD obviously will have to be one of them, um, especially having experienced Raheem's murder and uh, um, Bishop's murder or death. Um, so PTSD is definitely there. Um, of course, major depressive disorder, likely as a result of the PTSD, um, and perhaps um, anxiety disorder, um, generalized anxiety, uh, because of the just the heightened sense of of having to defend himself, having to explain himself, um, because now he ultimately will be in the hot seat for possibly the death of, you know, Bishop. I mean, and there were witnesses of this as well. So um, thinking about that and him possibly going to jail um, and the outcome of, of this isn't looking too good for Quincy. That is prognosis, yes, with the the worst possible case scenario is him, yes, going to prison. And that is something that I did then worry about. Um, because even if he can get 
feel to corroborate his story that Bishop is the one who killed all of the other people, it is going to be very difficult to just let him, it is going to be very difficult to, to imagine that he would be allowed to just skate on Bishop's death, despite the fact that it was accidental. He was trying to save him, even though mm-hmm. he was is suffering from a gun wound from being shot by Bishop after fighting him, being hit with a pole by Bishop. It mm-hmm. would be hard to sell that. Um, I really was trying to save him. And it is accidental as opposed to, I guess, that easy, lightest be manslaughter. I'm not sure. Um, What's the value of Black life? I don't know if they would care more about locking him up or if they just don't value Bishop's life. And so he can get off as a first time offender and being a young child or not a young child, but a teenager. Or if they would try to charge him as an adult. And that could be very detrimental for you. Um, However, if the outside witnesses do corroborate that it is, it was an accident, um, in which case you could possibly uh, feel less traumatically. I would start with diagnosing him with just acute stress disorder. It started from there because it did seem like he was mostly throughout the film just having issues coping with the loss of Raheem, which just could be... uh, not an extended time frame of him dealing with that. That could be just something that is for a certain time frame, maybe a little bit farther outside of bereavement, but just an acute stress um, stress disorder with him being hypervigilant, him being aware that he was hypervigilant and even talking to himself and saying, man, what's wrong with me and different stuff like that. Um, and then possibly if it does continue adjustment or disorder and then further on going into full-on uh, post-traumatic stress and like you said, any other morbid diagnosis that might go along with that as well how would you treat all of that for q because he's gonna have a lot going on and if he goes to prison then unfortunately he won't see any right you know i think ultimately the treatment would um definitely have to be solution focused very brief type of treatment while you can if he even has access to it because i mean as a criminal your rights are taking away um, and so the right to, to you know, adequate health care um, seems to also be stripped. And, you know, that's, that's always a concern about individuals in prisons, the actual amount of, of actual health care they're, they're getting, um, you know. So that is hard to say, like, how I would work with him, because also we're, we're focusing on the death here, too, but there, there's still also the case looming for the bodega um, or the the corner store being robbed. And so because of that, um, that's an additional charge that will be on top of it because, I mean, granted, they can say that Bishop shot the clerk at that store. Um, But they did, but they would ultimately be pleading guilty to yet another burglary charge. So, I mean, and correct me if I'm wrong, was the other one, were they convicted or were they caught? burglarizing the other the other spot not sure they just said he just said you got popped for busting Akilah's store last year um right. but if him and still can you know get together because he messed with Yolanda nasty self maybe yeah. she could get him inside to speak to steal or get a phone to steal and they could work out their stories ahead of time and get on the same page to whereas we were just in the store we didn't have knowledge of this and then he started to rob it. Bishop already gone 
But then that's but, also that's also what makes the case difficult because this he the dead man can't talk, you know. And I, I do precisely. believe that is some, there's a legal term for that that I I'm not aware of right now. So. <laughs> Unfortunately, we did not get much of Raheem to fully discuss. We got a lot of depth from Raheem's character for the amount of time that he was in the film. Um but we could not fully discuss any possibly treatment that he might need. Him and his Keisha might could work on co-parenting. Um, and he could definitely use some career counseling because him as having to provide as a parent, that was something that he was not ready for. He was willing to help with the different things that he could. Like, I can help take the baby. But she's like, no, this does not make you a man. I need a real man. I need somebody that's going to help. I don't want him to be fucked up like you and your friends. Mm-hmm. And um, so getting him um, maybe something that to sustain himself a little bit more so that he could contribute financially to Keisha and the baby, because I'm sure she would appreciate that. Um, she still had love for the man. She showed up to the funeral. Um, poor little Raheem Jr. is going to grow up without a father figure. Well, I mean, he might have special ed, because that was her boyfriend. So he might have a father figure, but without having his biological father. Um, that still does leave a mark on children growing up, uh, especially if they don't if they know that they are missing that parental um, person was taken from death. Um, Phil, I, again, felt like he was the most mentally sane. I feel like he might, could benefit from therapy after all of this, of course, maybe a little narrative therapy to help uh, uh, like objectify and remove himself from his, all of what was going on by like empowering him from a skill-based perspective and like looking at the larger social cultural context of everything that was going on with him to um help him through and make sense of everything that went on because it 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 was a wild story um what say you ma'am I agree. Um, I pretty much would give him the same treatment as um, as Q because they both with acute stress disorder as well. Um, Now that you mentioned that because of the physical injuries that they both, um, you know, received from um, Bishop and then I'm trying to think if there was another how many. Yeah. Post like the traumatic experience of the whole thing. Obviously, you can't you can't not forget that. I mean, he was, they were both shot, you know? And so the traumatic experience of, of having a, um, a gun, gunshot wound to the body is already traumatic for the body. I can't imagine what it's like for the brain and the the chemistry of the brain to help heal the body from that. So, um, the same thing, um, again, the charges, brought against them for, you know, the robbery will limit the ability to seek or, you know, obtain appropriate mental health counseling. So that's what makes it difficult to, to, you know, to determine or make an adequate prognosis because there's still this idea that they're probably going to go to prison and probably for a little while. Yeah, because but like you said, with the speaking to the, the the healing of the mind and the body, and then like reconciling the fact, yes, you were shot. You were shot by like your friend. This is somebody who you love. At the end of the day, like y'all were still really good friends and grew up with each other before all of this stuff started to happen. And that adds another element to the already convoluted intent 
highly emotional circumstances that they all experienced and went through. Mm-hmm. Last but not least, how would you treat Yolanda? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I mean, I don't know how I would treat Yolanda, to be honest. Um, oh, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I don't know because the problem with that is, is that in order for me to treat Yolanda, she would have to be wanting to seek treatment. Any of them, obviously. Um, because I, I mean, the, pro- the problem is she doesn't realize that there's even a problem. So why would she even, you know, come to, to me for services or to get a diagnosis? So to me, I feel like Yolanda... If if we were working together and she was to say, I got a problem with little boys. Um, <laughs> That's how she was saying. That little boys. I don't know what I would diagnose her with. I'm like, I I just, I, could, I didn't even consider her. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. She's a non, a non-MFN factor. Bitch. A non-motherfucking factor, bitch. Um, so clearly Q is way too old for her to be considered to have any affiliate um, motives behind their interaction. I would be more just concerned with um, her as far as healthy relationships working through the fact that she did go through the loss of the divorce. Is this just something that she's experiencing because of the loss of the divorce, those feelings of failure, um, reverting back to something that she knew previously, like had did she get married at this age and these are this is the mm-hmm. type of relationship that she was used to before she entered into a marriage. Um looking at what she wants out of relationships because is Q um emotionally mature enough and now with all of this going on, even capable of giving her what she is desiring out of relationship, was she just having a funky good time and if this is a one case instance where she just wanted to dibble and dabble and she felt like he was um, mature for his age and it went from there. Did she know his real age when they first started talking? Did she develop a relationship with him and then found out that he was still alive? Um, all things that I would have to take into consideration and um, explore with, with her. Um, but I definitely think that if she were to speak treatment it probably wouldn't be for because she had a problem with little boys it would be <laughs> because she um was just looking for a more clear direction for herself be it um through life and relationships and interpersonal interactions as well as intrapersonal um because it does seem like she has some self-growth and love that could happen as that could stand to happen as well agreed yeah and she had she has some some things to work through for sure. Yes. Mm. And while the clinician in me loved analyzing this movie in this way, the little kid in me disliked it because I was like, no, but I don't want to think about Q going to prison. He got the juice now and he's gonna be fine and no one's gonna stitch on him and and Everything is okay, and there's nothing wrong with Yolanda, and he has an older girlfriend, and that's cool. And his little brother got a boombox out of it, and I'm sure none of that is going to (laughs) happen. Probably 
not understanding half of what happened when I first saw it at the movie theater because I don't remember my reactions to it. I just remember the because you going. were four years old. But I remember the experience of going, and I remember seeing Tupac walk. That's traumatizing as a kid, man. Not as traumatizing as watching Boys in the Hood and seeing Ricky shot. And then, I mean, then there's that. But, you know, the most traumatizing experience I had was watching The Temptations and, and seeing Blue die. Like, but didn't Paul shoot himself in the head in the car? But you didn't see it. And, and you were too busy singing Papa was a Rolling Stone to even realize that he got shot. That he shot himself. I'm talking about Kid Rosie. Well, Kid Rosie, I'm sure, I'm sure saw a bunch. You saw anvils being dropped on characters' heads on Looney Tunes. So we're Americans. We can't get away from the violence. It's everywhere. You're right. Mm-mm-mm-mm. I feel like I need to watch something funny now. And if you do, I'm sure someone's going to get violently hurt inside of it. Yeah, you're right. Well, friend. <laughs> Thanks for kicking it with us this time on DSM Diagnosis It Comes and Movies. If you think guy or you love the show, be sure to check us out. As always, um, if you want to leave us a review because we're counselors and we actually care what you think, please do so. Peace. Peace.